Okay, people, it is time for another edition of Echo Chamber. And we have five films for you this week, right? But before we get into that, let's start off with the UK box office top 10 for the weekend of the 27th to the 29th of October. So at number 10 is Saw X, right? Which is directed by Kevin Grulert, um, written by Josh Stolberg and Pete Goldfinger, starring Tobin Bell, Shawnee Smith, Stephen Brand, uh, Michael Beach, Renata Vaca, and crew. At number nine is the new film from Gareth Edwards, which he co-writes with Chris Waltz. It is The Creator, starring John David Washington, um, Gemma Chan, Madeline Yuna Valez, Alison Janney, Ken Watanabe, Sturgis Simpson. Right. At number eight is some motherhood right this is from adam deacon he co-writes with michael vu and jazzy Zuzulu. it's starring adam deacon as well jennifer saunders danny sagnani peter sarafowitz ed sheeran jazzy zanazulu jamie winston Right, Kevin Bishop at number seven. It is the great escaper. Right, this um, is directed by Oliver Parker, written by William Ivory, starring Michael Caine, Glenda Jackson, uh, Wolf Kyler. Carolis Pierre, John Sterling, Laura Marcus. At number six, it's The Exorcist Believer, right? David Gordon Green takes over another horror franchise. Uh, he co-writes with Peter Settler and Scott Teams. It stars Jennifer Nettles and Dodd, Ellen Bernston, Leslie Odom Jr., Raphael Charge, Olivia O'Neill. Right, so we are now in the top five, and at number five is Paw Patrol, the mighty movie. Right, this is from Carl Brunker, who co-writes with Bob Barlin and Shane Morris, Kirsten Pell, Taji P. Henson, James Marsden, um, Marissa Martin, Christian Convey, Ron Pardu, or lend their voices. At number three, it's Taylor Swift, The Eros Tour. This is from director Sam Wrench. And um, yeah, it follows Taylor Swift on, um, on tour, right? It pretty much says what it is, right? Uh, at number two, we looked at this during our coverage of the 67th BFI London Film Festival. It's Killers of the Flower Moon, the new epic from Martin Scorsese, 
which he co-wrote wrote with Eric Roth. And it's an adaptation of David Grand's book of the same name. We have Lily Gladstone, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Jesse Plems, Tanto Cardinal, John Lithgow, Brendan Fraser, Cara Jade Myers, Janae Collins, Gillian Dion. It is... Ooh, it's a heavy film, but really well done. And at number one this week, we have Trolls Band Together, right? Tim Hitz and Will Walt Dunn, uh, direct Elizabeth Tippett, Glenn Berger, and Jonathan Abel, uh, right? David Diggs, Anna Kendricks, Zoe Dachanel, Justin Timberlake, uh, Christopher Mintz, please, Kanal Naya, Andrew Rannells, Eric Andre, all lend their voices. So that's the top 10 people. I think it's time we get into this week's film. So let's go. Okay, so we will start things off with a uh, Prime Video exclusive. It is The Other Zoe. Okay, people, so I might have been crazy, but I checked out The Other Zoe on Prime, okay? It's directed by Sarah Zandi. Written by Matthew Tabak. It is produced by William Bindley, uh, Mike Kars, Matt Luba, Lena Rocklin, Matthew Tabak. Executive produced by Michael C. Cuddy and Nate Bryson. So John Schwehart handles the music, Eve Cohen, cinematography. Maisie Hoy edits the piece. Deanna Brigidi was on casting duties. Freddie Waff, production design. Art direction is handled by Paul Luther Jackson. Set decoration, Daniel Aiden Baker. While Carla Shivener handles costume design. Hair and makeup, we've got Maggie McGee. Heather A. Hawkins and Rene Goodwin. The cast. Well, Zoe Miller is played by Josephine Langford, while Zoe Walsh is played by Maggie Furman. You've got uh, Zoe Miller's mother, right? Um, Paula is played by Heather Graham. Then there's Zach. Oh, actually, actually, we've got um, Zoe's best friend, Ellie, played by Mallory Johnson. Um, there's Zach McLaren, played by Drew Starkey. Um, Zach's mother, Connie, played by Andy McDowell. Her, his dad, Matt, played by Patrick Fabian. His sister, Avery, played by Olive Abercrombie. 
and his cousin Miles, played by Archie Aranu. Uh, we also have Becca, played by Amelia Yu. Um, Diego, played by Jorge Lopez. Francesca, played by Gabriela Serava. Um, mm, mm, mm. Oh, Zoe Wallace's mother is played by Christy Lynn Smith. Her dad is played by Pierce Lackey. Um, Dr. Tabak, played by John Crow. Uh, Dr. Maya Zayed, played by Salim Hadid. Professor Kellogg, played by Gina Stewart. Um, yeah, that's probably our main group that we see in the film. So the gist is Zoe Miller, a super smart college student who is uninterested in romantic love, has her life turned upside down when Zach, the captain of the boys' soccer team gets amnesia and mistakes Zoe for his girlfriend. In an attempt to get closer to Zach's cousin, Miles, a grad student who shares similar intellectual interests to Zoe, she joins his family on a ski trip for the weekend, pretending to be Zach's girlfriend. Caught in between the two men, while maintaining the girlfriend facade, her determination to look for compatibility as opposed to romantic love begins to falter. So, yeah, okay. Boy, boy, right? So the, the con whole concept of this film is... Zoe believes in data, right? So she's like, oh, you, oh, and, you know, attractions only really work with people who have the similar interests, right? While everyone else is, no, love can just be with any, it's just who looks good, right? Which is just dumb, right? She's got an act. She's supposedly building an app called Compatidate, which she's just like, oh, you do these surveys and they match you on, you know, your interests. But I'm just like, that's essentially the premise of every fucking dating app, right? You do a survey, you say your interests, what you're looking for, and it's meant to match you with similar people. Now, we know it's all bullshit, right, those apps do not actually work that well, you know, I mean, you might meet someone, but a lot of times it's by chance, you know what I mean, but yeah, so the whole idea of the app, it's not revolutionary, right, so it's kind of like, what, what, what are we saying here, what are we doing, but I mean, you know what's happening, you know where this is going to go, obviously, right? She's going to meet someone who doesn't match up on the data, right? That's that's the big thing. But it's how are we going to get there, right? How is this going to work? And I don't know, man. Like, I just, 
it just seemed very frustrating just because yeah, they didn't really seem like there was any nuance in the writing. There's no gray area. It was all very black and white, right? It's just like, oh, you like computer games. Oh, that must mean you're dumb. I don't like people that like computer games. Oh, you read a book I like. That means we're compatible. Oi. Hey, it's, it's just obviously, right? If you have the same interests with someone, that's great, right? You can connect on different levels, but it's about respect for each other. You might not like the books your partner reads, right? But if you um, respect them, you're not going to be like, oh, you're stupid. You read that, you know? Like, that's just peculiar. Like, my girl, she likes the Harry Potter films. I don't. But that's cool. Because we like other, we both like Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? Like, she can like one thing. I don't have to like it. It's all good. But we like other things together. That's how shit works. You know, you respect each other. You know what I mean? Because that's supposedly the person you love. So to, to kind of just break it on this level just seems kind of infantile, right? Then you've got the whole fucking amnesia thing, which makes no fucking sense. Because firstly, firstly, when you look at the speed my man is going on his bike, no, no, just fuck off, right? <laughs> I've run into doors going faster than that fucking fool. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, this is just some stupidness, right? Oh, he got amnesia. And then just the, oh, you you can't have any, um you know, any emotional, sh shut up. Like, it made no sense. Obviously, right? If, if you hit your head, you know, obviously, yeah, you don't want to be looking at bright lights. You can have headaches. So you take care of yourself. You monitor it. But the way this is portrayed is some goofy-ass shit. goofy -ass. Then you've got, like, supposedly he's lost all his memory, but he remembers other things. Because throughout, it's just like, huh, I thought that you liked that. Oh, I can't remember. It's just like, there's there would be none of that, right? It's just, or you'd frame it differently. You know, it'd be like, hold on, I thought you liked that. Oh, hmm, what's going on? It'd be like, man, this is fucking irritating. I can't remember. Right? I don't know if you've told me what your favorite book is. Gah! This is irritating. Hopefully my memory comes back soon. Like, you'd be talking like that. You're not going to be like, oh, but, uh, oh. so it made no sense. Makes no sense. You know what I mean? And, yeah, just, just a lot of the things in this film make no sense, right? And then when you look at it, right, this is the big thing with a lot of these films. 
the initial connection is always based on lies, right? Lies that are just crazy. So at the very end, it's just like, how could you ever form a solid relationship when everything was built on mistrust? You know, like it never gets addressed. It's fucking crazy. You know, it's so fucking goofy. It's stupid. It's real fucking stupid. And it's, I, I think it's a disservice because it's, it's written like this is for four year olds. That's what these things are usually, they're like, it's like it's written for four year olds. I feel with adults. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I feel, I know we're fucking, you know what I mean? Like, and even when, right, I was a young motherfucker, right? When I was 14, 15, you still understood certain shit, right? Obviously, you haven't had the life experience, but you know certain shit, right? You know, right? Telling someone a big lie to try and date them, yeah, it's going to be a problem, right? You know that shit. It, it, it's just uh, ridiculous. And I don't know if this is just me, but are you really going to borrow someone else's swimming costume? That feels kind of weird. That feels like borrowing someone's underwear. You know what I mean? I don't know. It might just be me. But borrowing a swimming costume feels like you're borrowing someone's underwear. That's weird, right? Might borrow a shirt, right? A, a chick might borrow a dress. Can see borrowing shoes. Though I'd want to know how funky someone's feet are if I'm borrowing a shoe. But I ain't asking to borrow someone's swimming costume, right? Or their fucking underwear. That's some weird shit. And the other weird thing was towards the end with the whole, can you build our website? That was like a weird 180 that come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? That was some weird shit. Also, the time it took to do that website. Because I'm like, yo, I built websites, right? I built internet websites at work. It doesn't, it, it takes longer. It takes longer. All the fucking testing you have to do. Just all that shit. So, yeah, this was it's very goofy. The acting, like, listen, it's not that the acting is horrible, but it doesn't feel very inspired. You know, like, I'm not believing anything. Just anything whatsoever that's coming. I'm not buying any relationships, parental or friendships. You're just not, you haven't sold me on any of the emotional impact of this film. It's just, no, it's not. And I will say the other Zoe relationship, that's just some weird shit, right? My man's got a girlfriend, but it, it's, it's just sold that, that it was some bullshit, which is just like, wait, why would you do, like, 
why did he date this other Zoe in the first place? You know what I mean? It, it's a it's a weird it's a weird film. The party scenes are shit. I hate the party scenes. Like, not many people do party scenes well. It's, it's just you know one of the uh, recent films with a good party scene. I mean, um, we got the the ill dancing in Book of Clarence, but it's uh you're not invited to my bar mitzvah. The bar mitzvahs were great in that. You know what I mean? But yeah, I think with this film, right, with the other Zoe, if you are a fan of, like, Totally Killer, you know what I mean? Totally Killer, the after films, obviously. Love at First Sight that we looked at a couple of weeks back. Right, if those are your jam, then the other Zoe will probably work for you. It's on Prime. So, um, yeah, have at it. Next up, people, we have a Netflix original. It is Pain Hustlers. Okay, so Pain Hustlers has just hit Netflix, so I figured I would take a look, right? It's directed by David Yates and written by Wells Tower. You know, the film is produced by do, 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 uh, David Yates. Um, it's executive produced by Emily Bunt. Ben Evard, um, oh, Lawrence Gray as well produces, hmm, yeah, I didn't see that, Lawrence Gray, yes, so, um, also Mark Moran, executive produces, and Lewis Taylor, and Yvonne Walcott Yates, it is co-produced by Patrick Wade, uh, Cyrus Mujibi, Cliff Lanning, Lawrence Kao, uh, Hannah Goodyear, Lloyd Evard, and um, we've also got some post-production stuff done by Michael Solinger. So our music is from Michael Dean Parsons and James Newton Howard, George Richmond, was on cinematography. Mark Day edits the piece. Fiona Weir casting. All right. Molly Hughes is on production design. Art direction is Hannah Hildebrandt, Haven J. Kim, um, Jesse Rosenthal, Hugo Santiago, and Chris Yo. Set decoration we have Bridget Keith. Kim Leolises and Shelley Zortman. Costume design is Colleen Atwood. So our cast, we have got Emily Blunt as Liza Drake, Chris Evans as Pete Bremer, um, Andy Garcia is Dr. Neil. Right, so um, Lizzie 
has a daughter, right? Her daughter is called Phoebe, and she's played by Chloe Coleman. And her mother, Jackie Drake, is played by Catherine O'Hara. Right? We've got um, Jay Duplass is Brent Larkins. Uh, Dr. Nathaniel Lydell is played by Brian D.R.C. James. Um, Eric Pauly is played by Amrit Shah. Right, we have got uh, Laverne, played by Valerie LeBlanc. Andy, played by Audrey Dollar. Sydney, played by Alex Klein. Camille, played by Britt Renschuller. Guy Schatz, played by Michael Costa. Randy, played by Nick J. McNeil. All right. Um, Luna, played by Bella Winkowski. Um, there is Matt, played by Willie Razor. Kate, played by Selena Aduzzi. Dr. Jimmy, played by Josh Ventura. Dr. Bowen, played by A.K. Benninghoffen. Um, yeah, I mean, that's probably our, you know, most of the main people, because there's doctors, there's all manner of people up in the spot, right? Now, although, right, although this is written by Wells Tower, it's an adaption of Evan Hughes's 2018, um, Art Meta magazine article from the uh, New York Times, uh, which was titled Pain Hustlers. And he also wrote a book, The Hard Sell, which came out in 2022, that also he's adapted for this, you know, was adapted for this film. Right. Um, so the gist is dreaming of a better life for her and her young daughter. Liza Drake, a high school dropout, lands a job with a failing pharmaceutical startup in a yellowing strip mall in Central Florida. Liza's charm, guts and drive catapult the company and her into the high life where she soon finds herself at the center of a criminal conspiracy with deadly consequences. So, um, yeah, you know, we see, you know, Liza, right, it opens up Liza's a stripper talking to her ex, right, about Phoebe and visitation rights and all of that kind of jazz, right, and at the strip bar, right, is Pete, right, so she's talking to him and, you know, she spends the whole night basically talking to Pete, which then has him offer her a job, right? Certain things happen. Now, it, like, the way it plays out, it feels like a long time has passed, but then you realize only a day has gone, but she calls up Pete. He, um, you know, she finds where he works. She goes in, gets the job, right? Pete changes her CV because, you know, she is not qualified, 
and everything kind of rolls from there. Now, what we get for the first mm, kind of hour, it's a bit like Wall of Wall Street. You know what I mean? It's a bit like that. Everyone's just off their head, just doing crazy shit, pushing these drugs, you know, beating out the other reps, all of that. And they're having fun. They're living the high life. We see them at conferences and parties, just all of that. Everyone is jazzed, you know, celebrating all of this. Then the film kind of takes a turn, right? Things start getting a little bit sketchy. Now, but one of the big things is I don't, like, all of that is fine. It is fun. It works. You know, the performances are very good, right? Which is definitely a good look for Chris Evans because this shows that Chris, you know, like, I mean... Look, there was no doubt Chris Evans is a good actor. It's just that Ghosted stunk, right? Ghosted was a steamer. So, you know, having him in this, seeing what, you know, you're just like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot he was good. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, yeah, the performances were good. Like, everything worked. Everyone's a pile of shit. Right, no one's good in this, right? And that's part of the problem, right? No one is good, you know what I mean? Now, and when I say that's part of the problem, it's just because the la the, the second half of the film is a little bit like Liza, you know, oh, something's wrong, and I, I want to do good, and ah, all of that, but. It's just a little, it's a bit odd, right? Because when you know these things, you know no one involved is good, right? No one involved. It's, it's, it's this story, like we know Big Farmer is crooked as fuck, right? We've known for ages, you know, the, 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 the GPs and doctors are getting paid off. You know what I mean? That's, that's what happens, right? I've worked for these startups. I've worked in the NHS. Like I've worked in different companies where you see this shit go down. You know, whether it's taking people out for a huge expensive meal after a conference, it's all shysty, you know? So, you know, just having the, 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 the kind of remorse is a little, it, I don't think it necessarily completely comes off, right? Because you have to ask the questions here. Where did all the money go, right? Now, we know that she grows up, she's grown up poor, right? So you think, yeah, you want good things. You want nice things. You want your daughter to grow up in a nice way, for sure. But the place they move into is fucking huge. Doesn't need to be that big, right? They could have bought a place because they're renting. They could have bought. Why didn't they buy it, right? It's just certain questions that you feel 
that would have been good because that would have helped cement right that second half of the story the remorse right if we'd seen certain things from Liza right why didn't she save any money because you know the money they're talking about the money they're taking they're making money they're making bank people so it's just like where is that where are those savings you know what i mean because you'd feel you could pay for the thing that needs to be paid for so it's just like though that kind of stuff is weird right the the fact that pete got at a job there's no conversation with him which you think is kind of odd in a way right there's there's all of these things like just the drug in itself because i think we we are told it's one percent addictive which is always bullshit right though medical trials are full of shit you can you, it's easy to get the results you want right so when you talk about percentages like you have to look at what was the control group right this is stuff you you I mean, you figure out when you work in it, right? You know it's all bullshit. And we've also seen this, you know, from, you know, like the cigarettes, sugar, right? COVID, or like you, you've been able to see the bullshit, you know, the lies. There's that great film, I think it's Dark Water with Mark Ruffalo, you know, about uh, Teflon and all of that, that also kind of shows this shit. I haven't watched it yet, but I imagine... It's in stuff like Dope Sick, and there's a, oh, God, uh, is it The Pain Game or something on Netflix, right? They did a basically another one on the opioid situation. I imagine it's all in there, too, right? The fact that trials are bullshit, right? But they didn't, I don't believe they said that Zana had fentanyl in it. Right, they said it's just better than the other people's drug that was a fentanyl lolly, right? They didn't mention that aspect of it. So I think there's things that could have been highlighted which would have then made the second half clearer, you know? Maybe I just missed all of that. Maybe, it, you know, shit happens. I'm... I'm Sometimes I'm wrong, people. You feel me? Sometimes I'm wrong. Hardly ever. But sometimes, the odd time, 1%. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it, it's just that second half. We've just got a little bit all over the place, right? That I think we're meant to be looking at Liza as the good one out of the bunch. But no, no. Is it like it's she's not good? Right? It's just but she only does what she does because of a certain need. Right? If there wasn't that need, would she have done that? That's what you have to ask yourself. So it's kind of like because in Wolf of Wall Street, he's not sold as a good person, right? You're just watching it this. This crazy son of a bitch, 
you know, just living this life and it just all imploding, but he's not good or trying to be good. I, I don't think so. It's been a while, right? In my head, that's what it was. Maybe it was different. Fuck. <laughs> Maybe I should have watched that before, you know what I mean, this, for that, 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 that contrast. I don't know, people, but that's in my head. That's what it was, right? In this, it, we're trying to sell Liza as the good one. Mm, and I don't think it works, right? Other than that, you know what I mean? It's it's good. This is good. As I said, the acting is good. You know the the like the way it's shot and everything like that. It works. You know, it works. There's some fast, busy. You know, it's that lifestyle, so it's showing that shit, right? So yeah, it, it's good, but it's just. I don't think it hit like Wolf of Wall Street. And I probably would have made it a little shorter. I don't think it needed it because it's just over two hours. I don't think it needed to be that length. You know what I mean? But yeah, I don't know, people. It depends what you want to see, right? Depends what you want to see. Now, I think Wolf of Wall Street is a good benchmark. As I said, I don't think it's as strong as that, you know, if you like these stories, if you liked Dope Sick and the Netflix one, then you probably will want to check this out, you know, because it's not bad, right? It's not bad. It just doesn't quite carry that punch for me. But yeah, it's uh, it's on Netflix, right? It's just over two hours, but very strong performances, very strong performances, right? So, yeah, there you go, Pain Hustlers. Right, so we've got our second Netflix original. It is Wing Woman. Okay, people, so we have a new action-adventure on Netflix called Wing Woman. This is directed by Melanie Laurent, and it is written by Cedric Angour and Christopher Deslandes. The film is produced by uh, Guillermo Kulbok and Sidine Dumas, line produced by Mark Vada, uh, Antonine Roche handles the cinematography, Audrey Simond edits the piece, Michael Lagoons is on casting, production design is Manuel Cullery, Art direction is Antonin Dor and Christelle Morachitin. Set decoration is Jax Orsin. Costume design is Maria Ramdahan Livy. Hair and makeup, we have Caroline Pestel, Sajarine Maranet, and Pascal. So, our 
podcast. We have got um, Carol, played by Meline Laurent. Uh, her best friend, Alex, is played by Adele Extrapopoulos. We've got um, Sam, played by Manon Bresh. The Godmother, played by Isabel Adjani. Um, I think it's Carlos, is played by Felix Motti. And uh, Adrian's, I think his name is, is played by Philippe Catherine. Okay. So the gist of the story is Alex and Carol, friends since childhood and now literally partners in crime, but the heist is still the ingress painting, the Grand Odalisque from the Louvre in Paris is too much for the duo to handle. So they bring in Clarence, Oh, yeah, that's the dude, not Adrian, Clarence. A bureaucrat son with a price on his head by a Mexican drug cartel. And more importantly, an arms dealer. Next is Sam, a stunt motorcyclist and boxer by trade, who proves trigger happy with tranquilizer darts. Using soda cans... Yeah, that's not it. <laughs> that's not it at all. Hmm. Let's go with tired of life on the run. Two expert Phoebes and best friends recruit Feisty Sam to assist them with one last job, unlike any they've done before. I believe the other one is from the comic book this is based on. The Grand Odalisque, right, which is created by Jerome Molut, Florent Rupert, and Bastian Vives. So, yes, they put together the comic, and yeah, this is an adaptation of, right? So, yeah, in this, Alex and Carol did not know each other from. Uh, childhood they met you know i think when they were teens in amsterdam and then started working together that's what it is right so this ah this is a, a, a peculiar film i will say right there's some there's some okay action in it you know what I mean? Like some snipering and all of that malarkey. That's not too bad, right? And I will say, the friendship does feel real, right? You buy the friendship between Carol and Alex. There are a lot of other components, though, that are very odd and a little bit forced. Like at the beginning, when we first meet them, right, Carol is running, she's just stolen some diamonds, and um, Alex is guiding her, 
But, wait, am I right? Yes, 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 yes. But Alex is um, being supposedly dumped by a boyfriend. So she's, instead of giving instructions, she's distracted. And that just feels a little played out. You know, obviously, two women doing a thing. Yes, she's going to be, like, fluff a job because of, you know, her boyfriend. Like, it's just a bit, like, come on. We could have done better, right? If you can have a relationship component, but, you know, I mean, just kind of like, oh, she can't cope without, it's just a bit, hmm, you know? So we have that. We, you know, and I, you feel that is there as comic relief, but it just, it's just way too forced, right? It's, it's just way, and a lot of the comedy is just forced, right? Like, oh, a job was meant to go a certain way, but then all of these things turn up and blah, 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 right? A hot dog stand is there for a distraction, but actually they have to work. Like, ah, you know, so there's a lot of things like that thrown in, which you're just like, mm, okay, whatever. We get this weird, right? This, this is pretty much a straight up action spy, you know, thief noir type of thing. But then we get this part where this odd bit of technology is thrown out there, right? That just seemed really out of place in the film. You know, we're watching this film, it's covered, it's all blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, this whole cloaking technology thing. And you're just like, Wait, what, what, what's that? Like, and it's only, it's just in for this one moment and then it's gone. You're just like, huh? And throughout, then the rest of the film, there's nothing. There's nothing. So it was just a weird addition. Didn't really make any sense. Made no sense whatsoever, right? But it, it just was there to add this new revenge thing component, right, which, again, just seemed a bit frivolous, right, the film is just under two hours, right, and this does feel like a long film, right, it feels like it's meandering all over the place, I just think if it was shorter, it, it may have worked better, Right, and we've cutting a whole heap of things. This film could have been an hour, right? An hour, and then it would have been probably solid. You know, there was a fun, um, let's say, uh, situation, right? There's a fun situation with three people, right? You'll know what I'm talking about. That was that was okay, right? That was okay, but. Yeah, it it goes all over the place. It meanders. It's 
this false you know humor thrown in and just yeah you are wondering what this is right it's sold as a charlie's angels-esque film and to be honest i hated all the charlie's angels films well i i didn't do the newest one i remember watching well i watched the first drew barrymore one it was dreadful i mean it, only because i worked in the cinema when it was on so i had to watch it there's projection and all of that jazz but yeah it's sold as that and yeah i will say if you enjoyed those those films you probably will like this you know but it's not it's not like the 355 i really like the 355 i thought it was smarter i think the action sequences were better sharper and the film you know made more sense because we get a um a situation towards the end which just feels bizarre it feels bizarre also they kind of let you know something was going on because of a phone call which they didn't have to show right i thought don't show the phone call like she's gonna she has to be on the phone for a certain reason anyway so if you just play it off as that you know so we have this thing go down and then at the very end they tacked on this thing and you're just like what are we doing right it firstly it makes no sense really and you just think okay if that's the case why 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 a secret why what are we doing it was it was weird it was a weird thing to do a weird fucking thing to do and then on top of all of that during the credits we get these outtakes and people 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 i'm like listen there's no point of outtakes when they're not funny these outtakes are not funny right and so many films do it where they throw in these outtakes which you feel have been created for the sole reason to tag them on the end so they don't feel natural they don't feel funny and you're just like what are we doing what are we doing but yeah wing woman is on netflix right now as i said if you liked the charlie's angels films then i'm sure this will work for you but it is not like the 355 so be warned thanks to studio canal we are taking a look at the remastered king and country okay people so thanks to the fantastic olivia jarvis i had a chance to check out the 1964 film uh, king and country so this was directed by joseph lousy and written by evan 
Jones. The film is produced by Lousy and Norman Priggin. It's executive produced by Daniel M. Angel and associate produced by Richard Goodwin. Larry Adler handled the music. Denny's and Coop cinematography with Reginald Mills editing everything. Richard McDonald was on production design. Art direction is Peter Mullins. Um, the makeup is Bob Lawrence. And our cast. Well, Captain Hargreaves is played by Dirk Bogard. And Private Arthur James Hamp is played by Tom Courtney. Captain O'Sullivan is played by Leo McKern. Lieutenant Webb is played by Barry Foster. Um, the Colonel is played by Peter Copley. Captain Midgley is played by James Villers. Private Sparrow is played by Jeremy Spencer. Lieutenant Prescott is played by Barry Justice. Uh, Corporal of Guard is played by Keith Buckley. Private Sykes is played by James Hunter. Corporal ha Hamilton is played by Jonah Seymour. Sergeant Major is played by Larry Taylor. Private Wilson, David Cook. Captain of the Court Marshals played by Derek Partridge. And Lieutenant of the Court Marshals played by Brian Tipping. Now, this is based on a uh, play called Hamp, which was from John Wilson, and that was based on a 1955 novel of the same name by James Lansdale Hodson. So the, uh, the gist of the story is this. During World War I, a young soldier, Hamp, deserts his post, attempting to escape the relentless guns and mud and walk home. Captain Hargreaves, an aristocratic British army lawyer, must defend Hamp before the army tribunal, for whom the crime of desertion carries the threat of execution. Initially, Hargreaves approaches Hamp's case with decision. However, upon learning that Hamp volunteered for duty on a dare, that he is the sole survivor of his unit and that his wife has been unfaithful in his absence, his efforts on Hamp's behalf become more impassioned and earnest. In the face of cold army bureaucracy, Hargreaves' arguments fall on deaf ears as Hamp becomes a victim of morale-boosting on the eve of the troops' deployment into an um, into an impending bloody battle. So, yeah, this is a, a you know we're watching this because Studio Canal. I have remastered this film for 4K restitution. Yeah, so um, yes, that's why we um took a gander, people, and oh my god, right? The, the, the like these were anti-war films, 
you know, but they're made after the war. I think mean, you had things like Vietnam and, you know, the other wars and things that have taken place since. But World War One and Two, man, the just magnitude of those wars, right? We'd gone, but I think everyone was looking at them and wondering what, what went on, right? So a lot of films were made just to show the, the horrendous conditions that people went through, right? And, you know, as you see from this film, right, the, the notion of mental health was the only form of mental health was if you were just crazy, right? You'd lost your mind, right? That you should be placed into a mental asylum. That's mental health back in the day, you know? There was no such thing as PTSD. They said shell shock, but again, it, it was not really something that was considered, right? And it had to be something very drastic for anyone to believe that you'd gone through shell shock, right? So Hamp, you know, he had one of his, you know, friends blow up next to him, be killed next to him. He said he turned away and he turned back and he wasn't there. And then he realized he's covered in him right? Just being covered in a friend, a colleague's blood and guts, right? If that happened nowadays, you are signed off, you know what I mean? Like, just seeing someone killed, you'd be signed off. If a train driver run, like, hits someone, they are, are taken off duty, you know, and if it, I believe if it happens more than once, you're automatically retired, right? Because the, the magnitude of that is so horrific that they're just like, no one could cope with that, right? But back then, during the war, you, you were, uh, thought, well, you can carry on. It's fine, right? And if you deserted, you were shot. You know, that was the punishment, to be shot by a firing squad. How insane. You know, and at the beginning, when uh, Hargreaves goes to speak to Hamp, right, he's just, he's not impressed, right? It, it's, oh, you should be saluting, you should be standing upright. Oh, why did you do this? What's going on? But then the more he hears of the story, he then starts to realize that Hamp isn't really in his full faculties, right? He's not crazy, but it's just everything that's being done isn't done by a rational thinking person, right? If someone was to actually desert, right, to try and escape, there's a whole heap of things that you would do Right? If you were trying to board a carrier home, you'd need certain equipment with you, right? Because that's what would happen if you were on leave. You would give it, you'd go with certain stuff, right? So you'd take that. There's just certain things that you would do. 
Hamp did none of those things. So it's obvious he wasn't in his right frame of mind, right? And we watch him try to make this case, you know? And on the backdrop of this, we see other soldiers trying to distract themselves from everything that's going on, you know? There's a weird court case with a rat, right? Trying to play pranks on each other, just anything to take your mind off of this unrelenting existence on the front line, which just must be horrific. And I imagine at the time, this kind of film, right? The way it was shot was chilling. You know, state of the art, right? I mean, it's hard to look at these things now and think, oh, that's a magnificent performance, right? That is a great depiction of a court case when we've had things like A Few Good Men, Time to Kill, you know, where it's just, whew, right? But these were made of a time, right? It's made in 64, well, it came out in 64, so it was probably made the year before, maybe the two years before. Back then, it was a whole different process, quicker, right? But, you know, they didn't have the same technology, the same, you know, cameras and lenses, like the fault of cinematography was different. The editing was different. In the court case, they do linger on everyone involved right, to kind of show the magnitude of the argument, which was a nice touch, that works very well, you know, and I think you, you do feel the compassion from Hargreaves, right, and some of the, um, I think it's Peters, he's uh, officer of uh, his regiment, now you can see that they care, right, those roles are played very well, so it's an interesting one, right? Because you, you have to remember when it was made. But looking at what we have, it, you know, it's, it's not a badly made film. And it's definitely impactful, right? When you look at everything and you are, you know, we understand what these wars were and just a horrific situation these people were in. We know what PTSD is, mental health, the strains, the breaks people can go through. We understand all of that. So watching this with those eyes, it is just, it's horrendous. Horrendous to fall of these things that went on, you know? So yes, if you are a fan of, you know, these depictions of the war, then I feel the king and country will be a film that you will want to see. And thanks to Studio Canal, you now get a 4K remastering, you know? It will be released for the first time on Blu-ray and a new, uh, as well as digital, and a new DVD version has been done. These will be released on the 6th of November. Ha, ha, right? So um, 
The Blu-ray is running at 87 minutes. The DVD is running at 83 minutes. All right, some of the special features are a behind-the-scenes still gallery, archive interviews with Dirk Bogard, and um, a feature on Tom Courtney on King and Country. So yes, you can look forward to those. And um, I think there's going to be there's some other other things as well. So yeah, as I said, if you are a fan, people, you might want to go pick yourself up the Blu-ray or the DVD. Now a pre-order link is on the website. So make sure you go there, right? And, um, you know, check out this British anti-war classic. Right, so we're going to close the show with a um, new film that has um, just played at Raindance and doing the festival circuit. It is Maya. Okay, so thanks to um, Henry, the great Henry Eshelman, right? Hit me up late yesterday with this Maya, right? Which is the new film written and directed by Julia Verdeen. The film is produced by um, Julia, uh, Jason Piet, Morris S. Levy, Robert Craig and Sean Acosta. It's executive produced by Victoria Hill, John Jacobs, Julian Lennon, and Tara Smith. It's co-produced by Antonio Michael and Corinne Jawera. Michelangelo Siswitz handles the music. Akash Raj, cinematography. Thomas Wallerstein edits the piece. Joseph P. Zuba is on production design. Costume design is Camille Jumel. Hair and makeup, we have Ashley Francisco and Catherine Fernandez. Right, so our cast. Uh, Maya is played by Isabella Felicina. Um, we have got. Hmm, this is a little bit all over the place. Um, oh, a younger version of Maya is played by Mia Rose Castaneda. Um, where is our mums? Okay, so I believe... Um... I think I'm once played by Patricia Valquez. Um, her mum's boyfriend, 
Diego is played by Gianfranco Rodriguez. Um, Ray is played by Billy Bundich. Maya's friends, um, Cassie is played by Sydney Nicole Rogers. Um, Suze is played by Logan Kelly. Uh, Ezekiel is played by Basilio Sedan Jr. Um, we have got, uh, um, Max played by Eddie Perez, Laurie played by Betty Zada Landin, uh, Layla played by Atiana de la Hoya, um, Miss Keller played by Catherine Brewer, Jen played by Seri Dion, Stephen played by Thur Riffestein. Uh, Rachel, played by Cherry Jimenez. Sandy is played by Rena Owen. Detective Chase, played by Anthony Montenegro. Uh, Kayla, played by Ruma Willis. And... Probably that is... Um, Ed is played by Dennis W. Hall. Um, Dr. Adams, played by Cameron McCormick. Dr. Jacobs, played by Robert Craig. Uh, Rochelle, played by Faith Archer. Brooke, played by Tyler Ferlin. Yeah, that's probably the, the major people. And the gist of the story is when a 15-year-old seeking an escape from her alcoholic mother's abusive boyfriend is lured into a sex trafficking scheme by a man she met online, she must realize the difference between love and manipulation to return to those who care. Right? I mean, this is... It's just bad. Right? Now, well, sorry, I should reframe that, right? The film isn't bad. It's just the subject matter, right? The What Maya goes through is horrendous. It is just, oh, it's not good, right? It is very troubling, very, very troubling. You know, we, uh, like, we saw a film that dealt with this earlier in the year. Remember, The Girl in the Back Seat, right, which was dealing with he the female trafficking from uh, Nick Laurent, Kiki Magales, and Chris Marone, which was really good. It shone the light on this thing, and Maya is... A, a similar film, right? Shining that light on this horrific situation. Now, Julia Verdine, you know, the writer and director, had a has a statement, right? It reads, Maya is a film about the cycle of abuse and what it takes to break that cycle. It's also a mother-daughter story. 
I have met and talked to a lot of single mothers who, as a result of being abandoned by their partners, have felt mistakenly that something was wrong with them. As a result of these feelings of low self-worth, they would fall into abusive relationships. After making my first film on teen trafficking, I learned from many NGOs that teens that grew up with domestic abuse happening in the home were particularly vulnerable to traffickers and likely to get into abusive relationships themselves. I also volunteered at a shelter for runaway teens. I was shocked by how many of them were convinced that their traffickers loved them and that they would come back to rescue them. The whole idea of the Stockholm Syndrome type of relationship of a captor has always intrigued me. In talking to detectives on trafficking task force, they noted that it is very difficult getting trafficked teenagers to tell their story and name their pimps so they can be taken off the streets. The refusal to talk about their abusers or cooperate with law enforcement allows the traffickers to continue their lucrative business activities. This is due to being to the traffickers having convinced their girls that police are untrustworthy. The victims have been tragically manipulated in a way that has, has them believing that their trafficker is the only person they can trust and truly cares for them. Former abuse and abuse at home is com a common thread seen amongst young victims of trafficking which has led them to have vulnerabilities that traffickers see and exploit. Kids and teens learn from what they experience at home. In this story, Camille, um, Maya's mother, has been abandoned by her husband and is struggling as a single mother. Her loneliness and low self-esteem is what makes her vulnerable to her abusive boyfriend, Diego. Diego takes advantage of that and uses Camellia often um, and the advantage of that and uses Camellia, often taking her hard earned money. As a result, Camellia becomes overwhelmed in all areas and self medicates with drugs and alcohol, even though she cares deeply for Maya. I wasn't originally planning on making another film on this topic, but after all I uncovered, it seemed needed. In order to represent the realities of child trafficking in the most realistic and authentic way possible, I made sure to meet with anti-trafficking groups, trafficking task force, detectives and survivors of trafficking. This included Alan Smith and Jessica Midkiff of Saving Innocence, Kay Buck of Cast LA, Lieutenant Andre Dawson, who supervised both the LAPD's Human Trafficking Task Force and the FBI's Innocent Lost Task Force, and retired LA County Detective Ray Bersini, a leader of the LA Regional Human Trafficking Task Force. I learned that it is becoming increasingly common for traffickers to target and befriend vulnerable youth have a difficult home life on social media as part of their recruitment strategy, incorporating that into this film, we see innocent teen Maya get initially 
contacted by a trafficker via social media. Another heartbreaking aspect of a situation like this that I wanted to explore in detail was the impact of a tragedy like this, not only on the victim themselves, but also their family. In this case, the effect of Maya's disappearance on her mother, Camilla. Many parents work long hours, provide the best social and educational opportunities for their children, but the long hours and consistent absences are a factor in what makes children most vulnerable to traffickers. In the aftermath of a child being trafficking, these parents have to deal with their own feelings of shame and guilt. I mean, they have, oh, the statement goes on, but I feel you get the picture, right? It's a very complicated situation. And you think, of course, anyone in a, you know, abusive household, right? They're going to be, I mean, kids in general are very susceptible, all right? It's just a fact. You can convince a kid to do a lot of different things, right? That's why advertisers will target kids, you know, show them different things, say this product is great, you know, drink prime, right? You know what I mean? They they just buy all of this stuff. So a, a trafficker convincing a kid that, oh, they care, that's like, an easy, an easy one, especially when they're not getting that at home, you know, and I think this, this situation is another highlight of why social media platforms should make it that you have to log on with your real name, right, because it would help stop this kind of thing, right? You can't contact people unless you post. You know, you put certain things in place, you would stop a lot of this, you know? You wouldn't stop it all, but you stop a lot. And then educating kids, educating kids, letting them understand what communication is, you know, like how people lie right? Someone, an adult telling you, oh, you could be a model, like just all of these things, suspect, right? Teach them to look out for red flags. All of these things are important, but they're not done. So a film like this, I think is very important to just highlight those facts, give people and give kids just an indication of, you know, the possible outcomes of doing certain things. I thought this film did a very good job of showing certain relationships. Like you did buy the relationship between Maya and her mum, right? I, I thought that was done very well. You know, the girl, like Maya and her friends, all of these felt like real situations, you know? So I thought that was good. And you could see you know, my mum's working and it's like she wanted to try and protect Maya, but she's, you know, she wants her boyfriend to care for her. So it's very tricky, but 
you know, she asked the questions, right? Did, did he hurt you? Did this? But the problem is when you're asking questions with that person in the room, it, it may like, you, you know, the kid obviously is going to feel insecure, right? That if they say the wrong thing, they could be in danger. So it's just all of these things going on. And I thought that was played out very well. Right. I thought, um, you know, just some of the things Ray would say to convince, like when Maya first meets him and she's going to leave and he's just like, oh, everyone leaves me. You know, just saying things like that. When you know someone is vulnerable and you say, you know, what I mean, oh, you're good. Like that can trap them. That can trap them. But yeah, it's definitely an issue, right? Young kids messing with adults, you know? I, I do think it sh it's something that should be called at school, right? Like the teacher that reports it, you know, I think you take a picture of the car, you take a picture of the license plate, right? When you see a kid getting into a car with an adult, it's a problem. Right. And maybe it's a friend of the family, but better to be safe than not. Right. Better to report something and find out, oh, right, they're, they're blah, blah, blah. You know? But then I think, you know, if your kid's going to probably get picked up from school by other people, you should probably let the school know. Right. Be like, listen, I work a lot. So my brother, my brother-in-law, my sister, you know, these people might come on occasions to pick up, blah, blah. You know, just things like that. But yeah, we see all of that. And just the manipulation used to keep Maya where she is, you know, just like, oh, I thought you loved me. Oh, but we're going to get a house. We're going to have a baby. We're going to do all of these things. I thought the manipulation was believable. So I, I thought that aspect of the film was done really, really well. You know, I will say it would have been good to get an, an understanding of the timeline, right? Because we get, there's a point where we understand it's been three months when Camilla is, is she's been looking and she speaks to someone and they're like, yo, you, you know, if you get clean, this program, it lasts three months, come out, call me. So then it's like three months later. So we know that's three months, but we don't know how long it's been since Maya was taken to that point, right? So to get an idea of how long she's been in that situation, you know, because they show, you know, like a time-lapsed, like, clip of, like, multiple people coming in and out of a room, which is just fucking horrific, right? Just thinking, oh, my God. And you know it's a film, but you know that's a real situation as well. And and just, so just seeing it, it, you just feel sick. It's horrible, you know? So, yeah, I think a time frame would be good. Like, just for that kind of, like, you know, 
because then later on you understand how entrenched right or you can see how long it takes for that kind of manipulation to embed itself right for someone to be fully convinced of you know the situation they're in i did wonder towards the end though right and this is big not knowing how these situations kind of work that can be because i can understand like you don't want to give someone a phone when they first come out because you just think they're going to contact you know this predator and be like oh come get me i'm here you know what i mean that can happen but you do wonder right when they do get a phone wouldn't you want to give the number to the police and wouldn't the police want to monitor that phone because of the likelihood of the predator getting in touch or you know the person contacting that person so you have an idea you know in a way of catching like i you'd think that would happen right logically in your head you're like wait wouldn't you do wouldn't that be a thing but i that's the thing like does that happen right or is it should happen but it doesn't because of result i don't know but watching you think wait wouldn't that happen shouldn't that be a thing you know so there is that now the story does get a tad ridiculous at the very end right the last i don't know 10 15 minutes 20 minutes like that little bit was a bit ridiculous i felt right just there's there so much to that right being able to follow a car being able to you know what i mean just the whole situation itself right the the time it took just all of that kind of stuff you just feel like you know but up until that point for it's handled really well you know, just the trying to re-acclimatize to society, right? Learning to talk to your friends, just all of that kind of stuff. That's kind of, that's interesting thing to see. One thing that I thought would have been interesting, because when you look at the situations with her mum and Diego, right? And then what Ray was doing to Maya, the parallels are crazy, right? So like the, the, because Maya could see what Diego was doing to her mum, but not what Ray was doing to her, even though it was essentially the same in a way, you know? So it would have been interesting to you know what I mean? Kind of see if that ever clocked on, right? If that ever kind of, hmm, no, but Diego didn't really love my mom. Ray loves me. You know what I mean? Anything, just anything like that, right? But yeah, it, it's a difficult thing because it's just like not having spoken to anyone that's been through this situation 
it, it, it's hard to know exactly some of the things that might go through people's heads and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, Maya is a, a, a really uh, powerful film. It's a really powerful film. And what Julia and her team have done is, you know, really good because trafficking is a $32 billion business, right? It's the second largest criminal industry in the world. You know, it's just frigging insane. It's insane. Just all the, that you just look at any of the figures and you just, it's upsetting. It's so friggin' upsetting, man. You know, I and mean, you're hearing guys talk about, oh yeah, she's she's young. You know how I like him. It's just like you just want to hit that person, right? You know it's an actor, but you just want to fucking hit that person. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. You know, so I think being able to see something like this and you know, have discussions, right? Have parents talk to their kids, be like, yes, these things can happen. This is what you need to watch out for, right? I think being able to play stuff like this to youth groups, to schools, you know, just get that message out there. That's very important. So if you get the opportunity, people, definitely check out Maya. The acting was very good, you know? The, 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 like the way the story is told and visualized was handled very well. Just the last 15, 20 minutes got a little crazy. But other than that, definitely a good one, people. So, yeah, if I, um, as it's playing at the festivals, it played at Rain Dance, you know, uh, recently. So um, if I can find any other release information, I will put that on the uh, website. But definitely check out Maya. Okay, people. So before we end today's episode, let's take a little look and see what's happening in the world of films. So... The right, well, the writer's strike has ended, but the actor's strike is still a thing. Supposedly, both sides are um, confident that it should end soon. That's some reports, but still no word. So it's still a thing as of right now, people. But, you know what I mean? It, it means a lot of things will change, you know? Um, and the release schedule for next year is definitely in flux, right? So um, Disney have moved the live action Snow White from March 2024 to um, March 2025, you know? So it will now be opening, um, hmm, yeah, then... Um, you've got Elio, Elo, E-E-L-I-O, however you pronounce that, 
right? So that was meant to open in March um, next year as well. It will now be opening on the 13th of June, 2025. Uh, Universal, right? They've moved, they've announced that the sequel to the Black Phone will now be opening on the 27th of June, 2025. You know, we have got some... Um, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Now, don't worry. That is still opening this year. They've just moved it back a few days. Because it was opening midweek, which a bit weird. It is now going to be opening on Friday, the 22nd of December. Right? Um, we have got the... Um, Robert De Niro-led Wise Guys from director Barry Levinson. That is moving from uh, February the 2nd, 2024, to the 14th of November, 2024, and will now be known as Alto Nights. I'm assuming that must mean something. Maybe Alto... I don't know, is where it's based. I have no clue. But that's just a new title, people. Um, and Magazine Dreams, right, was meant to be opening on the 8th of December this year. It's a new film starring um, Jonathan Majors. And it sounded really good. Supposedly it was, you know, it done well um, in previews. But that has been pulled from that date because uh, Jonathan Majors is um, in court on the 29th of November. So I guess they don't want that to bleed into the promotion. So, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see if it opens later in December or if it gets pushed to uh, 2024. Now, there is a lot of talk about scripts, right, and film development, because now the writer's strike is over. Now, there's a lot of catching up to do. You know, one film is Hocus Pocus Free, right, and writer Jen D'Angelo, you know, who um, I believe she wrote the script for the second film, had this to say. We're still in the story phase. We're still working on it. We've been working on some ideas. It's been fun to dive back into that world. And we have so many directions in which to go and so many new characters to explore. Right. Um, one being Mother Witch, right? A character that was introduced in the uh, second film, supposedly. Uh, her backstory hasn't even really been scratched. But she said this, I'm hoping that we are able to explore every aspect of these stories and take these characters on a bunch of fun adventures. We don't really know what it is, but we're exploring all options. And I think everybody is so delighted by the reaction that Hocus Pocus 2 got. And we're excited to continue those stories. So, um, yeah, it's believed that Anne Fletcher, who directed the second, will also be directing the third film. 
right? So, um, yeah, there's been word from Jeff Rowe, right, about the sequel to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. You know, Rowe wrote and directed that film. The second film, it sounds like, will be featuring Shredder, right? So Rowe said, um, that is exactly what I'm trying to figure out and what my next meeting will be about. That is that is what we are in the thick of now. Shredder is just a great character. He's an iconic, classic love character. He's like the Joker. You know who he is, even if you're not a fan of the source material. I think we definitely want, want to do a villain forward film. We're currently trying to make decisions about that. But those decisions for us as filmmakers are always going to come from the place of what tells the best story, specifically about our main characters, the Turtles. All right. Um, another, you know, one being talked about is the live action version of Invincible, which I had completely forgotten about. Right. It's currently, I think the second season has just hit Prime. Um, I believe so. Right. It's an adaptation of uh, Robert Kirkman. My mind went bank, people. Robert Kirkman's long running comic book series. Right. So, um, yeah, Kirkman uh had a lot to say um it's still in the script development stage i think once we get the script to where it needs to be i think we'll be in a good place and can move fairly quickly after that but all of the factors that i just discussed are things that we're thinking about how does this feel new how does this feel different how is this going to feel like something that's special those are very tall orders. We also need to find a way to play off the animated series, but also differentiate ourselves and give the movie a reason for existing. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, but we're hopeful. Hmm. I mean, it does seem weird to do a movie as you're currently doing a TV, uh, a cartoon series, but I don't know. Who knows, right? Um, yeah, so Francis Lawrence has also been talking about one of his projects, right? Constantine, uh, Constantine 2, right? Um, yeah, let's see. So he says, so Constantine 2 got obviously held up by the writer's strike. And we had to jump through a bunch of hurdles to get control of the character again. Because other people have control of the Vertigo stuff. We have control. Keanu and Akiva Goodman and I have been in meetings and have been hashing out what we think the story is going to be. And there's more meetings of those that have to happen. The script has to be written, but really hoping that we get to do Constantine 2 and make a real rated R version of it. Hmm. We will see what happens. Right. So 
we have got some big action stars all um you know what i mean working together jason Stephen um is going to star in a new film directed by david ayer right and it's being written by Sylvester Stallone. It's called Levin's Trade, right? Um, and it follows Levin Cade, who's being played by Statham, right? Cade, who left his profession behind him to go straight and work in construction, aims for a simple life and to be a good father to his daughter. But when his boss's teenage daughter, Jenny, vanishes, He's called upon to re-employ the skills that made him a legendary figure in the shadowy world of Black Ops. His hunt for the missing college student takes him into the heart of a sinister criminal conspiracy. Hmm. I mean, if it's a secret world, how the fuck would his boss know that's the world he worked in? You know what I mean? Ah, these things never make any sense whatsoever. But we will see what happens with it okay so um yes we um spoke about this a few weeks back there's a new film coming from a24 called death of a unicorn right and um you know it's uh, basically uh, about a father and daughter who accidentally hit and kill a unicorn while en route to a weekend retreat for his work Soon after the incident, his billionaire boss seeks to exploit um, the situation, right? It's the directorial debut from Alex Schuffman, uh, who wrote the script as well. Uh, he is also producing with Drew Hupt, Lucas Jacquin, Tyler Campellion, Lars Kunson. Tim Heddington and Teresa Steele Page. Right. Um, the film is starring Richard E. Grant, Tia Laloni, Will Pewter, Anthony Carrigan, Jessica Hines, Sunita Manny, Stephen Park, alongside Paul Rudd and Jenna Ortega. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, not a bad cast, right? So we'll see what happens with that. Um, now, the first film was really good, right? Cesario. Second film, eh, I didn't think it was great. But it looks like a third film is uh, on its way, right? And uh, Emily Blunt. Josh Brolin and ben Benicio Del Toro will be uh, back, right? Um, Daniel Kalua and um, Jer Jeffrey Donovan uh, will also be joining the cast. Hmm. Right, so... Uh, yeah, supposedly... Um, Molly Smith and Trent Lockenbill have this to say. Our idea is to get the cast back together with Benicio, Emily and Josh 
and we've got a great story to tell. Benicio, by nature of just working with us most recently, has been probably the closest to it at the moment. But we're keeping all the talent informed. They've stayed close to it. Like Trent said, the strike has just slowed us down a bit on this last draft. But I think everybody is very excited. Everyone sort of knows the framework of the story and is very excited to hopefully get our shooting draft in order very soon. So, uh, yeah. But let us end with this, because I had no clue this was coming, but it looks like we're getting a remake of The Running Man. Hmm. Right? And The Running Man was a short story written by Stephen King, right? But under his Richard Bachman pseudonym. Um... So the original film starred uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and suppose he was loosely based on the book, which, again, I didn't know. Uh, but this new one is going to be directed by Edgar Wright, which I have no clue, right? Michael Backall is writing the script, and this one is supposedly going to be very faithful to the actuals story written by king right it's being produced by signing simon kimberg nira park and audrey tron um and kimberg had this to say recently we are working on it actively um wright is actively working on the script with michael bacow our hope would be that it is a movie that again all fingers crossed and luck and everything else goes um, our way, that Edgar could maybe direct next year. What's cool is that Edgar completely separately, before myself and Paramount started down the journey of figuring out how to get the remake rights, which was complicated, he had tweeted just on his own, and I follow him obviously on every possible platform, he had tweeted that if there was one movie he would remake ever it was running man the original work um yeah follows a hitman um who is betrayed declared an enemy of the state and uh, sent into the running game right so um yeah be interesting to uh see what happens with this you know what i mean so, uh, yeah, there you go, people. We are done for another week. Um, a new Echoes from the Void dropped this week, so go check that out, right? Go um, subscribe to YouTube. That's where all the videos lie, so you can watch all the reviews and interviews and all of that, right? And subscribe to the podcast on any platform where you get your podcast from, people. We will see you next week, which will be a two-parter. So, enjoy your film watching. Peace.